When you're relieved of that pressure and you have a safety net, you are then free to operate at your best self. So if you're a sports person, let's say you play football slash soccer and you're scoring goals, you feel free and confident and, and it's positive feedback. Hey folks, welcome back to the 10K Collective Podcast, the place to be for six, seven and eight figure Amazon private label sellers a subset of the amazing FBA family of podcasts for Amazon sellers generally. Today, we continue with our interview with Ben Leonard of Econ Brokers about life after exit. Once you've got the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow and exited your business and got all that cash show up in your bank account, what next? So that's what we are asking Ben. And I think you'll find this a very, very interesting interview indeed. Enjoy the show. So your reflects on retirement. I think Tim Ferriss put it well in the much maligned, but I think still full of wisdom for our work week, which is Anyone who's capable of building a business and selling it and then retiring on the money is probably going to be so bored after a week, they'll be sticking yeah. bicycle spokes into their eyes, which is a very colourful phrase. But so I know sorry. exactly what he means. I, I know lots, obviously, we both know a lot of entrepreneurs, many of the same people, and I can't see any of them just sitting on a beach for three days. And why would you even want to do that after a certain point? You'd even had a holiday in Italy while you owned a business anyway. It's not like they're mutually exclusive. Absolutely. So, um, you just mentioned something there that, that came to mind, which is so that something came to my mind. The author, Donald Miller, who wrote Building a Story Brand, has recently released a book called Hero on a Mission. And after reading that, and he talks about coming up with a life plan, I wouldn't say I've come up with a life plan, but I do have a general idea that I want to, I've discovered I have an entrepreneurial spark. I want to burn through it until I'm, you know, 40, a little bit older than that, and then probably pivot more into my original passion of environmental and conservation causes. I don't know how it's going to look yet, but I think just having a high level broad plan is helpful but what's not helpful is forcing yourself to know every single thing that you're going to do because you just don't know you don't know what life's going to throw at you i didn't know i'd start a business and quit my job and i don't know what will happen next week never mind next year so having a general idea is good worrying about the details is not good yeah that makes sense to me and, and it's not like i've exited a business but I, i've gone through various phases of my life and again entrepreneurial types will often do that and it's a reality that lcvs don't look resumes if you're on that side of the pond, just don't look normal. <laughs> I've tried to make my, my peace with that over the years. And one of the things I'm going to end up doing one way or the other as part of my life is music, because like you have a passion for a certain thing and it may be more business-like and it may be more hobby and, and I'll just, it'll remain to be seen. But I, I think that is also part of the plan I've always had in the back of my mind. And I guess that it's interesting that you're going to pursue your entrepreneurial abilities until a certain point, but you're actively got a, a sort of deadline on that. That's very interesting. How did your experience of building a business and then exiting it, it influence these kinds of thoughts? Uh, do you think about that stuff very differently now from when you're in the middle of owning and operating? I think it was a, a gradual transition. As I began to, like everyone, I started and I did everything in the business myself. And I became, became acutely aware that I needed to improve the ratio of my inputs to outputs. And I needed to leverage my time using tools and outsourcing, etc., and people who are better than me, such that I wasn't running around like a headless chicken doing everything. And then you can take that to another extreme like I'm doing now, whereby, and there's a great book by Dan Sullivan called Who Not How. In fact, the best thing about that book is it's not by him at all. It's by somebody else who sat down and interviewed him and then wrote it. And they even talk about that in the book. It's phenomenal. And the whole idea behind the book is ask yourself, who can do this better than me? And so that's why I partnered with the brokerage. That's why I'm partnering with the baby brand. That's why I'm a partner in a, in a fitness. My, my uh, non-compete finished for my first brand. A former competitor of mine approached me and said, Ben, you're better than me. Well, set up a new business. You own 50%. You throw some cash at it. I'll run the whole thing. 
And so I can leverage my, my time by simply advising while still owning 50% and what's going to be a great business that we can sell in a couple of years. So I think that over time, it starts with just, okay, I'll hire an agency or a freelancer to help me with X, Y, Z. And then it grows to the point where you can own 50% of a business and actually just have a call. Yeah, that's a pretty awesome position to be in, I have to say. And that sounds very ultra leveraged because you're still using the experience you gained and in that specific industry, no less than the non-competes mm. over which I'm sure current owners of your former business are <laughs> delighted about. It's perfectly legitimate and doing heavy lifting. That's amazing. And the fact that somebody would approach you on that, by the way, is real testament to the strength of the brand that you created because nobody's going to casually do that. Run, everyone knows how much work it is to run a business and to voluntarily mm. say, I'll do that in exchange for some cash. This is always valuable, but also advice is you know, such a compliment. I've had yeah, compliment. but it was smart of him too, because he knows he, he, without having to pay me in cash, he can learn from someone who's been there and done it. And actually I get a selfishly, I get a warm, fuzzy feeling every time I have a call with him, because I feel like I'm teaching this guy. So it's great. Everyone's, and it's all about the win-win. Yeah, that's also true. Yeah. Lose is just not very sustainable and lose win is definitely not sustainable and depressing. So uh, yeah, that makes sense. Let's talk if we may be very un-British and talk about money <laughs> sure, without man. being embarrassingly intrusive. What did you actually do with all that money? Is it, did you just sink it straight back into Amazon brands or is it running your e-com business marketing budget or what, you know, did you just buy a house and then that was it wiped out? What, what happened? So I'm not a materialistic person. I've never really bought expensive stuff. And I still don't. There was one exception. Prior to selling, I had become obsessed with a particular American electric car brand. And shortly after selling, I, I treated myself to a car. And that's the one extravagant purchase I've had. I still buy pretty cheap clothes. I'm just it's just, I'm a jeans and t-shirt guy. I'm not, I'm not interested in stuff. So I'm more into home must have, I presume cost you a little bit of, of money that you were moving into. I and mean, was that where? <laughs> no, we were, the new home we would have afforded, but yeah, we did afford. So we might, we had, a, we got a mortgage based on my old day job and my wife's job. After we sold the business, I was able to pay off the mortgage immediately, which is obviously great. And then get everything else in, in life and business. I'm very much a believer of, if you don't know, talk to an expert. I spoke to a financial advisor and I now meet with my independent financial advisor a few times a year. I put the majority into a low medium risk stocks and shares portfolio, which is an environmental and ethical fund. Just my personal preference. I didn't want to invest in arms, fossil fuels, that type of thing. But actually that was a pretty smart thing to go into because many new tech companies, et cetera, are actually researching things which are socially and environmentally beneficial. And so actually investing in that kind of stuff is actually a growing area anyway. So that was pretty cool. I was fortunate. I put most of that money in right before the pandemic hit. I know right just after the pandemic hit, so that the market was low and then it grew. And now of course the war has happened, supply chains happened, so it's all kind of plummeted again, but hey though, swings and roundabouts. Over the course of time, it will grow. Yeah, and now we're building a house. So yeah, we're building a house. But again, you know, that's about something that I, for us to live in, it's not about buying flashy, fancy stuff. And I don't put any of this stuff on social. I know some people do, and that's good for them. <laughs> right? say, is that, is that allowed if you're teaching people in about e-commerce or anything to do with making money online, isn't it a law that you have to, by the way, if you've got a, a car, you're obviously stepping around the brand name, bless you. If you've got a car of a certain brand name and a nice big house, isn't it the law that you have to do videos of yourself driving up to your house and showing people around it? <laughs> 
Yeah, it's just not me. The only chance people will get to see that stuff is I have if it is if I happen to record like a little kind of Instagram reel or something, and 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 that appears in the background. But yeah, no, I'm, it's not. That's not who I am. I'm not not into that. And I think people actually like that. I think it's refreshing from all the BS yeah. that goes on. Oh God, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I was northern tongue in cheek. I, I just can't bear that it's that stuff. And I think it's a terrible marketing mistake uh, to do that yeah. because I think everyone must be totally over that now. If it was oh, fresh and novel ten years ago, it certainly isn't. Now. Yeah, a- a- absolutely. Uh, um, so, in other words, it sounds like you, nobody's forced you into any cliche of who you should be. You've just gone your own path, and as it happens, the money is provided. It sounds like a, a nice car, which is a, a classic thing that many entrepreneurs I know like, including myself. Although actually I made the decision a while ago to get rid of the car because I live in central London. It, it's so easy to get around by public transport and bike and so horrendous by car. But that's a, a different thing again. And then, yeah, it sounds like it, it paid off the mortgage, which is huge, but it didn't actually get you the house in the first place. So it's, I, I guess the, the safety net idea that you mentioned earlier feels like that's the biggest kind that's of thing. That's the biggest thing. Yeah. And, and here's, it, there's pros and, it's an interesting one, actually. When you're working under pressure, that pressure is helpful. You need a little bit of pressure. It causes, you know, there's two types of stress. There's distress and eustress. And a little bit of pressure causes, causes eustress, which helps you to stay motivated, stay on track, stay focused, eyes on press. Having said that, when you're relieved of that pressure and you have a safety net, you are then free to operate at your best self. If you're a sports person, let's say you play football slash soccer and you're scoring goals, you feel free and confident and, and it's positive feedback. Like the more you score, the more you score. But if you're not scoring goals, the, the the, use, the distress is building, the pressure is building, and the less you score. For me, now I'm free in that sense, and I feel more free to operate in my best self. Having said that, it's still good that I, I have little snippets of, of more stress that come along to keep you focused. We have to get this deal done by this date for this client. Or recently we had an issue with the baby brand that we're developing, and our factory told us they can't support us anymore because of COVID-related issues, and now, crap, we have to go find another one, you know, et cetera. And so that's good. It's about, it, you still want a little bit of pressure, but the kind of high level overall idea that if everything goes tits up, we're going to be fine. I think that's really healthy and helpful. Yeah, I think that's, that makes a lot of sense. I think when it comes to peak performance, the biggest barrier to peak performance for really excellent people I know, my wife, for example, is, is a very fine pianist and she recently played the piano concerto for memory with three weeks notice, which is insane. And Holy it's smokes. not her normal job. But one, the biggest barrier um, to her playing well was just the stress. Actually, she could do the job by about five or six days before the uh, event itself. And it strikes me that actually in business, that's no different. It's when you got bet the company events going on, it distorts your thinking, I think. Uh, and... Um, I've seen that quite a lot with my clients. The biggest thing I've seen is that people try and rescue something that should be allowed to die. And to your point of the yeah. peak romance with a business or a particular product line, you have peak anti-romance where it's not selling, there's no profit left, and everyone's bitching about it on the reviews. <laughs> people are so slow to let go of that, aren't they? It's a strange thing. Yeah. Um, I, I guess that's not really life post-Brexit, but I guess uh, post-exit, I should say. God, I have to edit that out. But yeah, what else have you done then? So the financial side doesn't sound like it was a huge motivator to you to sell. It was just the right time, but it's giving that safety net to then be able to be even in a sense, enjoy being an entrepreneur to free you up to use yeah. the, the talents you have. So what have you done You know, since exit? You obviously started Econ Brokers. You started brands. What's the sort of overall... I'm going to put it, try and wrap it in a bow for us. What would you say is the, the overall theme of your activities since exit? I guess I have a few hats, right? My main hat, certainly that I'm putting out into the, the, the world 
in terms of marketing right now is the brokerage. My other hats are the brands that I'm working on and I'm, I partner on all of them. And I, I'm developing brands because I enjoy it. I love it. It means that I still have, I still understand what it's like to be in the position of our clients. And I, and I don't think I could look them in the, the eye if I, I didn't. And the, the, the other hat is a bit, a little bit of consulting. I was doing mentoring. Now I actually just work with one private equity firm. It's a, it's a recurring theme that we're seeing actually in this space, just as a side note of large, actually enormous firms saying, hang on, we're not very good at e-commerce. It's people on laptops and spare rooms that all do it. Let's hire them. So that's what happened there. And then the last bit is just, and I, this phrase is overused, but I can't think of a better one. My personal brand, I'm positioning myself as someone who knows what they're talking about, been there and done it, still doing it. I'm speaking. Sometimes it's with my e-com broker's hat on. Sometimes it's just with my own hat on. And that's, yeah, those are the, what's that, four hats? Yeah. Well, that sounds like the personal brand is kind of, I don't know what the right is, where it is, Uber hat that, that goes, it's all sort of yeah. all, all of one, right? <laughs> you are one person. And I guess yeah. the fact you've got this e-commerce kind of big picture theme and then the brands, the consulting and, and the brokerage, of course, are all part of that. Yeah. This is, we could talk about stuff for hours, but I, I guess we ought to, since you mentioned the brokerage and that is the main thing that you are focused on at the moment, we ought to give you a second to just mention what you do for people obviously you've been there and done that got the t-shirt and you still going there and doing that you're selling on e-commerce and creating brands tell us a bit about what you do for brand owners as their brokerage with your brokerage yeah so we help business owners whether they own a physical e-commerce products brand an agency or, or a SaaS business we help them plan and then execute their exit sometimes that means we work with them over many months to get them ready and then take them to market almost mentoring their route to an exit, really. And sometimes it means somebody comes to us and they're ready to go just about now. And we, uh, we analyze their business. We understand it in, in, in relation to its, its niche, what's going on in that industry, any regulation that's coming in in that industry, what the appetite of the, the different buyers are. We go identify different buyers and that doesn't just mean aggregators. That means all sorts of different buyers in the space, competitors, larger private equity, strategic buyers, private individuals. Aggregators, of course, family offices, even prepare the business, take it to market, and then hold the seller's hand all the way through to deal completion. Our job is to get them the best possible deal and deal structure. Deal structure is really important, such that it's in line with their goals and their values and what they want, rather than we'll flip your business and have the money in your bank account in 30 days. Yeah, which I guess is the classic aggregator pitch, isn't it? Not all of them. Oh, yeah. And certainly uh, your recent marketing has had you riding in as Zorro-like to protect the buyers against aggregators, which is really fun. I like that. Yeah, great. What if people have, you know, enjoyed your story and want to get in touch with you either with your econ broker hat on or possibly if do you even offer consulting at the moment or is it just the econ brokers that's really the main available thing for people? I will take on consulting in the right um, circumstances. If it's exciting, I have, it's funny that you should mention that the last a week or two because of some changes that we've made at Econ Brokers. We've just hired someone in the States. I've become a bit more free. I could, I'm, I'm thinking about taking on one client. So if somebody wants to get in touch about that, they can. My email address is benleonard.pro. But for the brokerage, we're at econbrokers.co.uk. You can email me, ben at econbrokers.co.uk. My social handle and everything is benleonardpro. I'm quite active on Instagram and Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. And Econ Brokers handle is just Econ Brokers. We're on Instagram and LinkedIn, TikTok. We're not on Twitter. Yeah. And uh, we're very like, 
no hard sell relationship based. Come and have a chat. We'll help you any way we can. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to try and prepackage this a bit more, but I, presumably it's just if you want to talk through an issue or explore whether you might have a sellable business on your hands, get in touch. Kind yeah, of thing. we'll have a chat. And I talk to people and then keep talking to them regularly. They're not tied in as a client at all, just to help them. And then inevitably they come back and sell their business to us because we've given them that much help over the whole time without charging them anything for it. We're about the long game. And I've been, I know what it's like. And if you can have somebody who can just put a different set of eyes on it, right? And running your business, let alone selling your business is a very emotional thing. And sometimes just having that buffer and a chat with somebody else who can often point you to various people in their network anyway, can just take the emotion out of it and just put some cold, hard, a cold, hard look at what's actually going on to help them arrive at the right decision. Yeah. That sounds very valuable. And I guess that's the thing a good friend would do. And it's the sort of thing a, a good broker definitely is going to do. Like getting that perspective on, have you got something sellable? Is it even the time to sell? If so, what, what do you do next? Those kind of basic yeah. questions, right? Those yeah. sort of things that people always mull over a beer or 10 and at the Amazon conferences. Yeah. It sounds like you're a much more structured and, and thoughtful version of that in a way. So great to hear. But ben, this is as ever a real education. I know we're going to talk about valuations. I presume you're going to have to dash. So we welcome to talk about that in a, another episode. But for the moment, I just want to say a really big thank you for sharing your thoughts and your wisdom and, and also for being a good friend to me in the podcast and looking forward to having you back in the future and see what new exciting things you've been cooking up post-exit. Pleasure. Always great to chat. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. I really hope you found the show helpful to you. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.